We're in the book of Ruth, and we're looking at the news according to Ruth, and we subtitled our series, Learning to Trust God in the Messiness of... That's really hard to do sometimes, isn't it? I don't know about you, but um, it's really easy for me to trust God when everything is going well, but when things start to become a mess and unravel, I'm tempted to take matters into my own hands. And so let me ask you this question. Have you ever felt like you out? I'm not the only one who does that, right? Okay, thank you, Wes. I I thought I was going to be the only one. Have you ever felt like the need to maybe help God's plan along a little bit? He's not moving fast enough for your your preferences, and so you feel like you need to come up with some ideas or maybe put some action plans in the got along. I was uh, with my wife this week, and I asked her uh, some questions about what we're going to be studying in Ruth and telling her about what this chapter was, and so that's what happens on date nights with pastors, <laughs> and so we talk about what I'm going to be talking about. And she reminded me of this great line from U2's song, Stand Up Comedy, in which she sings, stop helping God across the road like a little old lady. I don't know what that whole song is about. I went back and read through all the lyrics, but I at least know what this is about because I try to do that sometimes. I try to help out like a little old lady. And so we're going to look at a passage today in which Naomi, the mother-in-law of Ruth, tries to help God across the road like a little old lady. matters into her own hands, comes up with a plan that really could have been incredibly disastrous if not for God working behind the scenes. So let me give you an kind of an update of where we are in this book so far. If you've missed some of our studies or maybe you're not familiar with the book of Ruth, this is what we've seen so far. Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, move from the promised land to Moab where he dies. Naomi's two sons marry Moabite women. One of them is named Ruth. And Naomi's sons soon die too. Ruth travels back to Israel with Naomi, pledging her loyalty to Naomi and to Israel's God. She has what we might call a Damascus Road experience, except for her experience was on the road back to Bethlehem. Naomi arrives deeply embittered, believing God is against her. She actually changes her name from pleasant, which is what Naomi means, to bitter. And then Ruth goes out to glean the next morning in a field that just so happens to belong to a man named Boaz, who just so happens to be a relative of Naomi. And it just so happens to be that he is kind to Ruth. And it just so happens to be that he makes sure that she and Naomi have plenty of food to eat. And Naomi, as we saw last time, begins to hope in God once again. She begins to believe that he's not forgotten her, that he is not after her after all, but has actually remembered her and is kind to her. So that's where the story left off. And we're going to pick it up in chapter 3. We're going to call our study today, Resting and Waiting. That word rest will come up two times in our study. point it out to you. And the issue of wait, <laughs> the question about do we wait upon God, do we take things into our own hands, is going to come to the forefront as well. So, chapter 3, verse 1, begins like this. Then Naomi, her, that is Ruth's mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you? that it may be well with you. And there's that first occurrence of rest. And if we have our ears perked up to the flow of this story, 
sometimes hard to do because we, we take a little bit of time over the weeks. But back in chapter 1, when Ruth tried to get her daughter-in-law not to come with her, she said, The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. And so when we get to chapter 3, verse 1, and she brings up that issue of rest again. This is what she's thinking about, that she would find a husband. And in fact, the New International Version translates verse 1 like this. My daughter... I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. So she wants to find Ruth rest. They've had a terrible life so far, and she's hoping that she can find a home for her daughter-in-law, Ruth. But that raises a question, which is eloquently brought in a commentary by Ian Duggan. He says, But who in Bethlehem would provide a place of rest for an outsider, especially a foreigner like Ruth? In Numbers 25, Moabite women led, uh, led the Israelite men into sexual immorality and idolatry. Instead, the very, I'm sorry, indeed, the very origins of Moab were an act of drunken incest between Lot and his oldest daughter. It is not surprising, therefore, that the image of Moabite women in Israel was far from positive. So, Naomi wants to find a husband in Israel for her daughter-in-law, Ruth, but this is going to be a hard sell for any man. And she says in verse 2, is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? You remember she's been in the fields of Boaz gleaning. He's told her to stay by his women, his, his female servants, as they glean. He's instructed male servants not to touch her. And so she asks the question, is, is not Boaz our relative? You begin to see Ruth coming up with a plan here. You remember from verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 20, she said, this man is, one of our, uh, is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And so that word redeemer is most often used in Scripture about... And in fact, going back to the book of Exodus, when God was sending Moses into Egypt to liberate his people, God said to Moses, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord... And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And so when Naomi speaks about Boaz being a relative, you'll see sometimes translated throughout this relative or, or redeemer as a relative who is a redeemer, or more short a kinsman redeemer. And so here Naomi is back in the promised land with her daughter-in-law. She wants to find a husband for her. And Ruth has now been working in the fields for about seven weeks with this man, Boaz. Boaz is taking his sweet time if he's going to do anything. So Ruth puts an idea into play. You see, Naomi thinks she knows what God might be up to. But Ruth has been working in a field for seven weeks and nothing has happened. God is not moving fast enough, so Naomi comes up with a plan to help move things along. Or as Bono would say, to help God. Line go, I just went. Thank you. Yes, helping God cross the road like a little old lady. See, you guys are so proud of me. So this is the. Tell me what you think. See? He is in the winnowing, oh, sorry. he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until 
he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. And he will tell you what to do. And she, that is Ruth, replied, All that you say, I will do. Now, some of you are shaking your heads. Tell me, honestly, what do you think of Naomi's plans? Would you ever tell your daughter or your granddaughter that the way to find a husband is to go to the guy that she has her eye on after she has washed, after she has put on perfume, after she has put on her back clothes, go find out where he's been hanging out and when he falls asleep, go and cover a portion of his body and lay there and then do whatever he tells you to do. This is crazy. I knew in their right mind would give advice like this. It's interesting, as I looked at the commentaries, I have about 10 commentaries on the book of Ruth. Some of them, so with what's going on here, and some of them say this is just an ancient in which people proposals by uncovering people's feet. Except for I cannot track that down anywhere. And so I think that's something that sometimes has been repeated or someone heard, and so they say this is an ancient marriage custom. But I can track that down anywhere in antiquity. So this is just something weird that's going on. And so there's several ways we could read this. One is maybe Naomi is thinking that Israelite men have always had a weakness for Moabite women. And if that's the case, this plan could be put into place in which temptation would be presented to Boaz and like a fish looking at bait would seize upon it. That's, that's one possibility. Another possibility is that Naomi is banking on Boaz's character, believing him to be a worthy man, as the way he was introduced to the story in chapter 2, verse 1. Either way, this is crazy. Dean Ulrich in his commentary said this, let's be honest about Naomi's scheme. Approaching Boaz on the threshing floor was not a prudent idea. Naomi put Ruth in real danger. Because the threshing floor is lay outside the town, Ruth could have been abducted on the way and never made it to Boaz. Boaz could have taken offense at Ruth's forwardness and refused to have anything more to do with her. Though a man of standing in the community, he could have taken advantage of Ruth and if necessary, lied about what happened. Who would believe Ruth's side of the story? And would Naomi have publicly defended her Moabite daughter-in-law? Naomi did no one any favors that night. She put both Ruth and Boaz at risk of yielding to temptation or being unjustly accused. So, let me just say this as well. Just because something is reported in the Bible doesn't mean it's a prescription. <laughs> and so, don't give this advice to any young woman this is not endorsed by the scriptures, it's just simply reporting what she did. And this is Jewish meditation literature, so we're meant to reflect on this and wonder what's going on here and, and to try to figure things out. So, 6 tells us, So she, that is Ruth, went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain, then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. <laughs> behold, a woman was laying at her feet. He said, who are you? 
Let me give you my take on, I think, why the foot uncovering thing is going on. I, as I mentioned a while ago, I, I can't track down any source in antiquity that says this is uh, a way you propose marriage or something like that. I think this is in the springtime. And so I think with him lying out there, uncovering his feet, his feet would naturally grow cold at night, and he would wake up to cover himself up. I think maybe that's what's going on. You may disagree with me, but we can't track down a source in antiquity, so that's, that's my guess. And so he's lying there under the stars at night, guarding his barley grain, and he wakes up. And behold, there's a woman there. And he says, who are you? I mean, just imagine he's startled, and there's a woman here. And we know at least from the book of Hosea, chapter 9, that prostitutes would sometimes come to the threshing floor. And so here he is, a worthy man, and there's a woman laying at his feet. And so he's asking the question, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. So there she is. She is doing what Naomi had told her to do. But what she says next is actually something Naomi did not tell her to do. She wants to make sure her intentions are well King for a, a night in which she hooks up with this man. She's actually after something very intentional. And she says to him, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. You may recall that similar language used by Boaz in chapter 2. When he said to her, the Lord repay you for what you have done. Speaking about how she's been kind and attached herself to Naomi and is looking after Naomi. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So Ruth is actually quoting something that Boaz had said to her the very first time they met. And this notion of spreading a garment over someone is an ancient way in the world of antiquity to talk about marrying someone. So, for example, in the book of Ezekiel, there's a place in which God talks about how he betrothed Israel to himself. And he said, I spread the corner of my garment over you. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord, and you became mine. God, as he recounts through the prophet Ezekiel, history he's had with Israel, has said to them, I have married you, and I have spread my garment over you, which is another way of saying spreading your wings. And so she said, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And here she's making crystal clear she's not looking for anything else in this encounter, but to step up and become a redeemer for her and Naomi. She is proposing marriage by saying this. So a redeemer, as we mentioned a while ago, a redeemer was a relative who would come to the aid of a distressed family member. You can read more about this in Deuteronomy 25 and Leviticus 25. But for example, if someone had sold himself into servitude to pay off a debt, a redeemer, a relative of the family, could come and buy that person back out of that debt. Or there was this thing called a Leverite marriage, which means a brother marriage, in which if a man passed away without securing any offspring, his brother could actually marry his wife and perhaps them could provide an offspring that would then inherit the portion of land and become the one who is the heir. And so she's 
riffing on those ideas in Israel. Spread your wing over your servant. Marry me, for you are a redeemer. Now, this is really bizarre, if you stop and think about it. This is a woman proposing marriage to a man, which sometimes happens in our culture, but never happened in the ancient world. This is a poor woman, desperate, asking a man has at least some means. This is a person who works the field asking the owner. So, I mean, they are not in any way imaginable in the ancient world on equal footing. But she does come to him and says, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, before we look at what he said, let's just pause and think about the awkwardness of the situation. Ruth, who has been working in his fields, coming to him, asking him to step up and become a redeemer of their family, to marry her as a foreigner, and to take on all the responsibility of her and her mother, Naomi. He could have shamed her in this moment, saying, how dare you come to me in this situation? You are threatening my reputation in doing this. He could have said to her, are you crazy? I will never marry a Moabite woman. He could have said any number of things. But everything, and we mean everything, now hangs on Boaz's response to Ruth's proposal of marriage and her challenge for him to step up and become their redeemer. So he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. He speaks of this last kindness. The, the thing that she has just done, being greater than the first that she has done. What, what was the first thing that she has done? She has bound herself to Naomi. Remember those words, those beautiful words in chapter 2 where she said, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. Far be it from me if anything but death separates you. May, may, the, may the Lord do so to me if anything but death separates us. That was the first kindness he's referring to. And now he says, what you have just done is actually greater than that act. You asking me to be your husband, to step up and be the redeemer, that is a kindness. And if you were here last week, you remember we talked about that word kindness, which is a Hebrew word called hesed. And it's a word that means kindness, mercy, goodness, loyalty, faithfulness. It's used some 250 times in the Old Testament, usually referring to God's loving kindness, his covenant fidelity and love. He says, what you have just asked of me is the greatest kindness you have ever done. And he says in verse 11, and now my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. Put yourself in position for just a moment. She has come from tragedy. She's in a foreign country now. She's, she's at the mercy of this man. If he says yes, everything changes for her and Naomi. If he says no, then she's risked it all. He might not allow her back into his fields to glean. But he says, and now my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. Imagine Imagine how her soul, her, her heart, her spirit is just being buoyed in this moment. 
prayers are coming true or they're being answered, what relief she must feel. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. That exact phrase is translated in Proverbs 31 as an excellent wife who is of more value than jewels. What's really interesting is in the Hebrew order of the books of the Bible, Proverbs comes right before Ruth. And so you will have just read about Proverbs 31 and this excellent wife. And then you move into the book of Ruth. And Boaz says, you are that kind of woman. But what's also interesting is that phrase, worthy, was used back in chapter 2, verse 1, as I mentioned earlier, uh, to describe Boaz. And so here you have a worthy man and a woman. You have an excellent man and you have an excellent woman meeting under the stars of night. This seems like a marriage made in heaven, doesn't it? Aren't you rooting for them? (laughs) Don't you want to see this this marriage happen? Ian Dugat again in his commentary said, Boaz agreed to her audacious request. He declared himself willing to take the risk that marriage to Ruth entailed. He was willing to pay the social and financial cost of welcoming this despised outsider into his family. Let me just speculate for a minute. If, if Naomi and her husband sold their property when they went off to Moab, then Boaz would be responsible for buying that property back and giving it back to Ruth. I'm sorry, to Naomi and, and also Ruth. So he's, if that's the case, he's, he's taking on much responsibility here. He, he knows it's not just taking care of Ruth, but also taking care of her mother-in-law. And so he, in this act of loving kindness, says, yes, yes, yes. Verse 12, and now it is true that I am a redeemer. Ah, oh, man, don't you feel a butt coming? Don't ruin it. This is a beautiful moment. Everything's going well. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet, or but, there is a redeemer nearer than I. We talked about her spirits being lifted, right? Her, her heart being filled with joy. I wonder if it came crashing down in this moment. There is, there is another Redeemer. That is another relative who has first dibs on redeeming this woman, this family. And he says, remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. If this other man this other redeemer will redeem you, then good, let, let, let him do that. That's his right. You will be taken care of. But if he doesn't, then I will step up to the plate. I will redeem you. As surely as God lives. He's, he's invoking an oath here. As surely as God lives, I will redeem you. And then he asks her just to lay there till morning. He doesn't want to send her back home in the middle of the night. So, as readers, we know that either way, Naomi and Ruth's future will be secure. But we don't really 
We want her to marry Boaz. He's a worthy man. We don't know about his other character. She's been working in the field of this man who's been kind to her, who's served her, who's made sure she's had over and above anything that she needs. We want her to marry Boaz, not this other redeemer. So verse 14, we're told that she lay at his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the, uh, the, flesh, the threshing floor. <clears throat> in other words, it's still pitch dark out there. But he's like, okay, we've got to make a plan <laughs> because it, it cannot be known that you were here. And he said, bring the garment you're wearing and hold it out. So she held it out, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. And then she went into the city. He says, grab, grab your garment. This is probably the, the shawl or the outer uh, garment that she wore to keep warm in the middle of the night. And she held it out. And so he begins dumping what amounts to six measures of barley. And so I don't know what six measures of barley are, so I had to look at commentators to see what they said. They estimate that this is between 60 and 80 pounds. I can imagine her watching him fill up her shawl, thinking, there's no way I'm going to be able to carry this. You're being far too generous. But it says he picks it up and he puts it on her. I don't think they had CrossFit back in the day, but she has been working in the field, so maybe she's, she's been used to carrying this, and he has confidence that she can carry it back. So he puts it on her, and she goes into the city. Six measures. That's an interesting number there. And I don't know much into that number six, but there was a commentator of a very interesting point of, of reflection. I just want to present it to you. He says, this is Ian Duggan, perhaps it is also significant that, re- that Ruth received only six measures, not seven. In biblical symbolism, the number six sometimes stands for incompleteness, whereas seven stands for completeness. The world was created in six days, yet it was incomplete without the seventh day, the Sabbath. Given the significance of rest, in this chapter of the book of Ruth, it may be that the narrator was signaling that even this generous gift of seed is by itself similarly complete. Ruth is still looking forward to receiving the final installment. That's really interesting. This is Jewish meditation literature, so you're meant to kind of think about this and click on these hyperlinks like rest, which takes you back into the beginning chapters of Genesis, and that's interesting. I don't know if we can press it that far, but it is interesting. So, verse 16, when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How do you fare, my daughter? Literally, she asked, Who are you, my daughter? That question, who are you, is the exact same question that Boaz asked her when he was startled awake and saw her lying there. So she says, Who are you? Which is kind of a bizarre question because she knows who her daughter-in-law is. She knows who Ruth is. So my translation here translated, how do you fare, my daughter? Because they're trying to get at maybe what she's asking here. So she knows who her daughter-in-law is. But what she's asking is, how'd it go? <laughs> who are you? are you? Are you still single? Or are you engaged? Did he say yes? What happened? Tell me. Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Very interesting. 
She's been working in his fields every day, going back with bags full of what she's harvested. But now he sends her back with 60 to 80 pounds of grain, saying to Ruth, I want you to give your mother-in-law a message. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. She replied, wait, my daughter. Here's that word, wait. Now Naomi's willing to wait. (laughs) She was running ahead of God earlier, helping God across the road like a little old lady, but now, okay, we can wait. Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. This man is not going to rest until it is finished. So, I know you're asking the question, so what happens next? Don't you want to know? (laughs) We're going to have to wait until chapter 4, which is next week. But, let's just pause for a moment and get our feet grounded again on what's going on here. Dean Ulrich in his commentary sums it up nicely. Ruth Reed teaches us that God graciously redeems all sorts of situations. Yes, there was little chance that Naomi's scheme could work, There were simply too many variables that neither Naomi nor Ruth could control. But Ruth and we serve a God who controls the variables. He does so to redeem us and the situations of our lives. He seems to delight. He seems to delight in bringing good out of the bad, the perplexing, and the hopeless. And so we see God at work, even in the crazy advice that he gives to I'm sorry, that Naomi gives to Ruth. He, he works in and he works through that. And we've been talking about that all through this series, about how God is always at work in ways that we may not even be aware of. So just two points of application, my friends. Let's see the wisdom of waiting, waiting for and resting in God's providence. Let's see the wisdom of doing this. Naomi rushed ahead and, and gave some really foolish advice. Thankfully, it turned out all right. But you see, Boaz, not willing to rush ahead, he could have taken matters into his own hand, went and got hitched with this woman, but he knew that there was another person who had a prior claim to be a redeemer of this family. So he waited. He's resting in God's providence. If God's providence shows that this man is willing to redeem, then so be it. But if not, he's, to do he's not helping God across the road like a little old lady. He's trusting in God's providence to see how this works out. And you may remember from our first study together, we define providence this way. The scripture teaches that God not only created the world, but he also rules this world in such a way that everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly, fits into the real life story of the salvation of this world in Jesus Christ. So everything fits his purposes. We, we oftentimes have no idea how it fits. But the details of Ruth's life, of Naomi's life, of Boaz's life, fits into the story. And the details of your life does as well. See, Boaz is, is trusting in what would one of his descendants would say, Solomon. He has made everything beautiful in its time. God is at work making everything beautiful in its time. And so if we believe that, we should have the conviction, as it says in Psalm 31, my, time are in, my times are in your hands. God, you, you have determined my birth date. 
and you've determined my and you're sovereign over all the days of my life. My days are in your hands. My times are in your hands. So there's a sense, my friends, in which we can rest in that knowledge and trust God and not try to help him out like a little old lady crossing the road. Someone says, so are you saying we should just kick back and do nothing? No, I'm not necessarily saying this. I'm asking the question and attitude of our heart. Are you willing to trust God? Yes, sometimes we do make plans. But how do we make those plans? You may remember this, this teaching from James, the brother of Jesus, who said, Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow we'll go into this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. So yes, we can make plans, but it's always independence upon God. It's more like the other way around. We're not helping God across the road like a little old lady. He's helping us across the road like a little old lady. So we can make plans, but we always do it in dependence upon God. I wonder if Naomi would have stopped and said, if it's the Lord's will, Boaz, in due time, will marry Ruth. But instead, matters into her own hands, did what was right in her own eyes, came up with this dangerous plan. Scriptures teach us, all the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Also, commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him, and He will act. Sinclair Ferguson puts it like this, we are often in a greater hurry than God. Isn't that true? (laughs) I was thinking about Gandalf, Gandalf, in Lord of the Rings, he never arrives early nor late, but just when he intends to arrive. (laughs) That's exactly how God works. He's never early and he's never late. He shows up exactly when he intends to do so. So Sinclair Ferguson says, we are often in a greater hurry than God is. We need to learn that our God is trustworthy. His timing is perfect. His wisdom plans everything for our good. We have every reason to rest in the Lord and to wait patiently for him. Indeed, that is the case. Here's our second point of application. Let's glory in our nearer-than-Boaz redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) Remember how Boaz says there's a redeemer nearer than I? You just think about some of the chap that was a part of their relatives. But, But Boaz, as a redeemer, points to Jesus. And so let's rejoice and glory in this Jesus, who is a redeemer for us one that is much nearer than any physical relative could ever be. And just like Naomi and Ruth banked their future on the kindness, the hesed of Boaz, we do the same thing with the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like they were trusting in him to provide food for them. So we trust in the Lord Jesus, who not just promises to provide for us, but who says he is the very bread of life. So as you think about how Naomi and Ruth entrusted themselves to this Redeemer to provide for them, hear Jesus declare, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. Jesus says, I am your bread of life. I am your, I'm your sustenance. I am your everything. And I am your Redeemer. And so think about Jesus as our Redeemer. 
Just like Boaz was willing to take on all the debt and that terrible situation that Ruth and Naomi found themselves in, so Jesus is willing to take on responsibility for us. And this is the way Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter 1. In him we have what? Redemption. There's our Redeemer. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. It's not like God is just stingy with his grace. He's lavishing it upon us. And Jesus is serving us in accordance with that lavish grace by redeeming us through his blood. And just like, oh, I'm give the story away just a little bit. Just like Ruth and Naomi's future will change if this other redeemer says he's not interested, so our future has definitely changed as our redeemer has said he is interested. Listen to how Peter puts it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. Everything that is his becomes ours. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Our greater than both redeemer has gone to the mat and back for us to redeem us, to take care of all of our debt, and to provide richly for us, including the inheritance that is to come, which the scripture says elsewhere is the new creation the new heavens, and the new earth, and everything with Jesus thrown in. So my friends, let's see the wisdom of resting in and waiting for God's providence to work out. Let's glory in our greater as Redeemer. And Mercy Hill Church, may you grow trusting God in the messiness of life, waiting and resting in the God who makes everything beautiful in His time.